Thank you, men, for ministering and music to us. In light of the message of that song, we should always be ready to tell the story, be ready to talk to others about Christ. This past week, interacted with a guy that I've known the entire time that I've lived here, somewhat of a hard man, and you didn't even want to talk to God about him or talk with God or to talk to him about God most of the time. And uh, I brought the issue of God and Christ up and uh, had a good conversation. So we never know when God is working, just being open and sensitive. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you that in your grace and your love and your mercy, you've given us the written word, the scripture. We know it's your desire that we live in light of your word as Christ is our life. And as we look at a portion of scripture from Mark chapter 9, we want to be open and sensitive to being doers of your word and not hearers only. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you had a child or grandchild that could not speak, who had seizures, and at times would foam at the mouth, would gnash his or her teeth, and at times end up on the floor being very rigid, what would you assume is wrong? What action would you take? Would you consider demon possession? Do demons desire to distort the image of God in humans? How do you recognize demon possession if you need to? Is there demon possession today? Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 9, reading together verses 14 through 29. And you two gentlemen who are reading the part of Jesus and the boy's father, you know where to pick up along the way. But Mark 9, 14 through 29, reading together. Mark 9, verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered. Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit and has dropped him of Whenever it seizes him, he throws him to the ground, he foams at the mouth, matches at the teeth, and becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the Oh, unbelieving generation. Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought, <clears throat> brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood. He answered, They had often thrown him into, the, into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on him. 
said Jesus. Everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The spirit of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him. Keep in mind that as you read this passage that the 12 continue to be with Jesus. They're with him to be trained. They're going to be sent out. They're going to be having the authority to drive out demons, and they'd already been sent out once in Mark chapter 6. Remember, too, that Jesus is unique. He's the Son of God. He's been baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's sensitive to God's Spirit. He will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That He will be baptizing. He's sensitive to God's Spirit. He's proclaimed the good news. He has healed many. And we could go on and on to this point in Mark of what Christ has done. And as you think about this passage, just take a few moments to look at a couple things down through history as one journeys toward God, but journeys outward to the world. You find that Moses was on Mount Sinai and then in Exodus 32, he comes down from the mountain and he confronts rebellion and idolatry. Elijah had quiet strength at Horeb. And then he had to deal with the paganism of Jezebel and Ahab. Jesus was baptized and it was stated that this is my beloved son whom I love. And then he went to the temptation in the wilderness. The disciples are with Jesus. Three of the disciples are with Jesus. Or rather the 12 are with Jesus, but they're going to be sent out to drive out demons. In the context of what we're discussing, three of them were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And what happens? They come down. And they have to deal with some squabbling on the part of the teachers of the law as they argue with Jesus' disciples. And that seems to be happening fairly often in Scripture. We find that Jesus spoke of his death. Six days later, he was in the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. We know that Elijah and Moses appeared. And on the way down, he again talked about John the Baptist and what they had done to John the Baptist and they would do to Jesus. So as they're coming down from the mountain, 
what takes place. They come to the other disciples, that would be the other nine, and there's a large crowd gathered around the other nine, and the teachers of the law are arguing with the nine. And arguing means to deliberate, you know, to debate, to question. And the same word of arguing, debating, and so on is used in Mark 1, Mark 8, Mark 9, Mark 11, and Mark 12. So we find the teachers of the law arguing with them, the other nine disciples. And what happens in verse 15, as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Now keep in mind that Jesus has been healing, Jesus has been teaching, he has cast out demons. And there was an awareness of what Jesus had done. So the crowd turns from the teachers of the law, they turn from the nine, and they turn to Jesus, and they're overwhelmed with wonder. And the word wonder means to be astonished, to be awestruck. Ah, here's Jesus! It's interesting that Jesus responds with a question. What are you arguing with them about, he asks. Apparently directing that to the teachers of the law. You find Jesus uses questions repeatedly in his ministry. He's kind of like his father, isn't he? Because God uses questions repeatedly in the Old Testament as he addressed Adam and Eve, as he addressed Israel. So he poses the question, what are you, teachers of the law, arguing with them, the nine disciples about? He investigates. He gives opportunity for them to respond. And it's not a bad idea in our daily lives to ask questions before we respond. Maybe as a parent, maybe on the job, a rumor you might hear. But he poses the question. And a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. <clears throat> Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit. But they could not. As I read the text of this scripture, I can't help but ask the question, how did the father know that his son was possessed by an evil spirit? How did he know that? It doesn't seem he questioned that. I brought you my son, whom is possessed by spirit that has robbed him of speech and so on. He recognized it. It didn't seem to question it at all, and he was accurate because his son was possessed by an evil spirit. You'll find in verses 18... What happens to the boy is emphasized. In verse 20, it's mentioned. In verse 22, it's mentioned. And in verse 26, it is mentioned. In verses 17 and 18, he is robbed of speech. 20, 22, 26, talk about throwing into convulsion. It seizes him, throws him to the ground. 
He fell to the ground and rolled around. He foams at the mouth. Foaming at the mouth is mentioned again. Gnashes his teeth. It often throws him into the fire. He becomes rigid. Attempts to throw him into the water to kill him. The spirit convulsed him violently. And he looked like a corpse. Now take a few moments to reflect upon the power of the demon. The boy is robbed of his speech, thrown to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth. He becomes rigid. When they bring the boy to Jesus, what happens? He's thrown into a convulsion. He falls to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And when Jesus asked the boy's father, no, has he always been like this? And he says, from childhood, it's throwing him into the fire or water to kill him. And then when the spirit is to be cast out or is being cast out, the spirit shrieks, convulsed the boy violently, and then came out. We're dealing with a very powerful being. How did the boy's father know the boy was possessed by a demon? Why were demons active during the ministry of Jesus while he was on this earth? Are demons active today? How does demon possession distort the image of God? Is that part of demon activity to distort the image of God? Can demon possession be masked by drugs? Should we consider the possibility of demonic activity today? My purpose is not necessarily to answer all those questions, but just to think. As you read the text of Scripture, Notice what Jesus says. O unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Unbelieving generation is a reference to the crowd apart from the disciples. Generation is used five times in Mark, but it's never referring to the disciples. Even though the disciples, the nine, were not able to cast out the demon, I think he's speaking to the people present. A reference to the crowd apart from the disciples. Generation, as I mentioned, is used five times in Mark, but never of the apostles. The disciples had an ability, but they didn't have a thought and a hardness of heart as the teachers of the law had many times. And as you read the Old Testament, you'll find that Jesus lamented the prophetic grievances 
of what happened in the Old Testament. Israel is called a hard people, a generation of people that are not responsive. And it's almost like the people that are present today, the teachers of the law, oh, unbelieving generation, you're, you're being like the Jews of old. Oh, unbelieving generation. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? It almost seems like Jesus is a little frustrated. You know, how long shall I stay with you? How long must I put up with you? You know, how long must I patiently bear with you? Jesus had taught and performed many miracles. He had cast out demons on other occasions. His being, his character, his identity was clearly portrayed. But yet, they didn't seem to get it. So what's he say? Bring the boy to me. So they bring the boy to Jesus. The father brings the boy to Jesus. And what happens when the boy comes is, when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. The demon is doing his thing in the presence of Jesus. And as you read Mark, you will find that when demons come into the presence of Jesus, they do respond. The man in Mark 5, there was a response along with other passages. Since the temptation... By Satan in the wilderness, in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, Jesus appears as the more powerful one, whose chief mission is to bind the strong man and liberate captives. Listen as I read from Mark chapter 3. <clears throat> Mark chapter 3. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out demon or drive out Satan? This is when he's being accused of being possessed by spirit. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. The end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man then he can rob his house. That ties in with 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, where John says that Christ came to defeat Satan. So we find that the boy possessed by the evil spirit has been brought to Jesus. And the Spirit does his thing. And then Jesus poses another question. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? You know, Jesus doesn't seem in a hurry. As Jesus asks the question and the boy responds, apparently 
He's in a convulsion. He's rolling around. He's foaming at the mouth. How long has he been like this? From childhood. We don't know how old the boy was, but it's an extended period of time, you know. He answered, it has thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. The Spirit is trying to kill the boy. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus, have some pity, have some compassion. That's the Father's request. But if you can do anything, and how does Jesus respond? If you can. The father was not grasping who Jesus was. If you can. Jesus knew he could. He says everything is possible for him who believes. True faith is always aware of how small and inadequate it is. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help my, or help me overcome my unbelief. True faith is aware how small and inadequate it is. True faith sees Christ in his character, in his identity, in his being. True faith has no confidence in itself, nor does it judge Jesus by the weakness of others or his followers. It looks to the more powerful one who stands in the place of God. What do we have here? We have a man who says, help me overcome my own belief. Jesus says, if you can, Faith has no demands. It only depends. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. The Father says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Now think about faith. Faith simply depends. It doesn't demand. It is grateful for what God may do. Now notice what Jesus says in verse 23. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Sometimes people read through the Gospels. Sometimes we read through the Gospels and we come across a verse like this and say, Ah, if I just believe, everything's possible for me. I want you to notice the context. Faith in the context would be in the person, the character, the identity of Jesus and his ability to cast out a demon. The context is casting out demons. 
He had made a request, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. Everything is possible for you, the Father, if you'll believe that I can do this work. The everything possible is related to the casting out of the demon. That the nine disciples could not cast out. The context is not a free-for-all where you get to believe Christ will do whatever we desire and whatever we believe. The context is that of casting out a demon. A man seeing that nine could not cast out the demon, the evil spirit, but thinks Jesus should be able to. And Jesus says, everything is possible for him who believes. Everything is possible for you, Dad, if you believe. I do believe. Help my own belief. Belief that we or that Jesus can do what we desire shifts the focus from Jesus to us. To say, oh, I gotta do whatever I want. It shifts the focus from Jesus. This passage is about Jesus. It's not about us. It's about Christ being unveiled. So when Jesus says everything is possible for him who believes, the context is it's possible for Jesus to cast out this demon. I would encourage you to keep that in context. So what does Jesus do? He saw that a crowd is gathering. He is going to rebuke the spirit and even as he rebukes the spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Spirit shrieks, convulses him violently, and came out. But he looks, the boy looks like he's dead. The strong man is able to bind Satan able to bind the evil spirit and command the evil spirit to come out, which the evil spirit does, but leaves the boy looking like a corpse. And some people thought he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. We find just a little later, the disciples say, why couldn't we drive it out? And we'll discuss that next week. And Jesus talks about prayer. I want to impress two things upon you this morning, at least two. One is Satan, his demons are powerful. As you study scripture, you'll find that to be true. But Jesus Christ. was able to cast the demon out. And 1 John, along with Colossians 2, along with Hebrews 2, makes it very clear that Christ has defeated the enemy. And we, don't not, we do not need to live in fear of the enemy today. He's powerful. He is at work. 
but he's defeated. God gave us armor. He gave us victory. And we'll discuss some of the questions I raised earlier a little more next week as we finish the portion of Scripture. We live in a broken world because Satan, in the form of the serpent, came to Adam and Eve, the first Adam. But the second Adam, Jesus Christ, according to Romans 5, came and defeated the first Adam in the sense of defeating the serpent. And we can live in victory in Satan's world. As Ephesians 2 talks about the fact that he's the prince and the power of the air. And with those thoughts in mind, we can praise God. Travis?